ask you to go ahead and open up the scriptures to um, Numbers chapter 25. That's where we're going to um, we're going to settle tonight. There's uh, we're going to um, spend the majority of our time in, in our in our portion this week, and, and we've got a couple of other uh, texts that we're going to look at as it relates to. Uh, this week's Torah portion as well. So um, there, there's big pieces of this, this portion this week that um, like not skipping over, but like, you know, we get into their, their, their numbering. You know, we'll see the part, if you've, if you've read ahead, you see the part where they're numbering, the, they're going through the kind of the second generation genealogy and numbering the people. Um, so we're not going to spend a great deal of time there. Um, then there's the division of the land where they're getting, they're, they're actually casting the lots once they go in, who's going to get what portion of the land. Um, so that's there. Very, very important. I want you to make sure that you spend time in that, but I want us to focus on, um, we're going to look at this, this part in chapter 25, um, the first portion of that, because uh, it's going to tie the pieces together from last week. Um, and then I do want to talk about this idea of Modim, this, this appointed time. And, um, and then we're going we're gonna to look at how all of this um, points us to Jesus, who is our Messiah. So uh, let's start in chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 10. Um, coming on the heels of the teaching that we had uh, last week out of this portion where uh, Pastor Paul was talking to us about um, Balaam and Balak and how um, Balaam set into motion um, something that really, like, not just caused issues immediately for Israel, but as we talked a little bit about last week, it has this ongoing impact and this ongoing effect. Um, I got so much clarity from the scriptures last week and the teaching. I went back and listened to uh, last week's podcast again, just to kind of take it in again. Um, and, and that brought so much clarity to the scriptures this week for me. Um, so we're just, and really, we're just tying to the end of that. If you remember, um, kind of, you know, God became very angry because the men um, started connecting themselves to these Midianite women who then uh, had them start worshiping their gods. And as a result of that, this plague broke out and 24,000 of the people of Israel died. And then right at the end of that, um, Aaron's grandson, Eleazar's son, whose name is Phinehas, took a spear, killed one of the men and one of the women, and that, that stopped the plague. It stopped the curse from carrying on. So we're picking up there in verse 10 of chapter 25. It says, Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, the Kohen, has turned away my anger from Israel because he was very zealous for me among them, so that I, might, so that I did not put an end to Israel in my zeal. So now say, See, I am making with him a covenant of shalom, of peace. It will be for him and his descendants after him, a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and atoned for Israel. We're going to go through 18 here. The name of the Israelite man killed with the Midianite woman was uh, Zimri, son of Salu, 
a prince of the Simeonites ancestral household. The name of the ex- executed Midianite woman was Cosby, daughter of Zer. He was a tribal head of an ancestral house of Midian. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, deal with the Midianites as enemies and strike them for they have, for they have been enemies to you in your deception of you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the Midianite prince, their sister, who was slain on the day of the plague on account for the Peor incident. So, um, so here, Yahuwah is telling Moses, I'm, I'm making this covenant now with Phineas to make him a priest forever. Now, this is really significant because... Um, like we, we know and understand, you know, Aaron and his, his descendants, and, he was a, and Phineas was a direct descendant of Aaron. However, Phineas had married an outsider. So when he married an outsider, he was then no longer um, qualified to serve as a priest. However, because of his zeal for Yahuwah and for his holiness, for his glory, and the thing that he did, he earned that favor back. And so this covenant that, that Yahuwah made with Phineas brought him back into this lineage, this priestly lineage. So that, that was really significant. And, and then uh, also he tells Moses here, also understand the Midianites are your enemies. That's important. We're going to get to it next week, but it's important that you hold on to that. We're going to, when we get into next week's portion, we'll talk some more, um, more in depth on that. So then when we get into chapter 26, that's when we get into the numbering of the people again. And so it goes through and it says, from this tribe, there were this many. Now, what he was counting, if you, if you, in a close reading of it, what he was counting were the men who were aged 20 and up. I don't know what the range was on the top side. It doesn't really clarify, but they were at least 20 and older. And so it goes through each of the 12 tribes and it says there's this many in this tribe, this many in this tribe, this many in this tribe, goes all the way down through it um, until we get to the end of 26, not the end of it, um, verse 51, it gives us the total, the sons of Israel totaled 601,730. So remember, this is generation number two that came out of Egypt. You remember why we're talking about generation number two coming out of Egypt? Why is that? Generation number one doesn't get to go in to Egypt, right? I mean, uh, doesn't get to go into the promised land. They came out of Egypt and they don't get to go into the promised land. So he's doing this renumbering so that now he can take that and figure out Moses has the, uh, the task now of dividing the land as they get ready to approach and go in. So what we know from the scriptures of the number who came out of Egypt, it was, I wrote it down, I put it in your notes for you, 603,550. That's what we found out from Numbers chapter 1, verse 46. So just some simple math that I didn't do on paper, I actually punched it into a calculator. Um, there's a difference of 1,820 people fewer who were prepared to go into the promised land then came out of Egypt. Um, again, we don't know like total numbers because this is the number of men that were aged 20 and, and over. 
So you're still assuming it's well over a million people that, that are going in. Um, and then also remember that not long before this was done, there was this curse that fell on the people that 24,000 of them perished, okay? So that's kind of where we are. We, we, so then we go through, we, we number the people, we get kind of go through. It's not really like a section of genealogy, but getting the numbers of this generation so we know as we get ready to approach and go into the land, we know what we're looking for. Now, as, we, as they finish that part, there's a significant piece, like a small piece that uh, as it finishes that and goes into chapter 27 of these women who approached Moses and said, our fathers perished in the wilderness, but they didn't have sons. Now, this is really, really important. If you've done any study of the kinsman redeemer, have you, have you heard of the kinsman redeemer? You read about it in, uh, in Ruth as it talks about Boaz, who became that kinsman redeemer. So there's, there's several different portions of, uh, of Hebrew law as it relates to the kinsman redeemer. This was one of them that was put into place. So like this is a pretty significant piece in chapter 27 with these women who went to Moses and said, we don't have people. Like we don't have identity. We don't, our, our fathers died without sons and we are here now preparing to go into the wilderness and I mean into the promised land and you're getting ready to divide the land among these tribes and we don't have people. So Moses took that then to God and he said, yeah, they absolutely get an inheritance also. And so it was, it was like put into law at this point. So if you ever go back then and study all that applies to the kinsman redeemer, there's the portion about like if, um, if a husband, a husband and wife, they're married and the husband dies and they don't, they don't have any children, that it becomes that husband's brother's responsibility to take that wife. And then, so, and, and thus redeeming the bloodline as it, so it can continue to go. So this is added to that as well as time goes on. And, and so we make sure, and it's the idea of making sure that everybody's included, it's, it's family, it's, it's all of us, and that nobody goes without, nobody slips through the cracks. So, um, so we get that, that part about the inheritance for the daughters, those whose, whose daddies passed away, but they didn't have brothers, so they, weren't, they were kind of disconnected. So we go through that in 27, and then we get to this commissioning of Joshua. And this is kind of, there, there's, there's a big moment coming here because the, re, the reality of Moses' decision to strike the rock the second time is now coming into fruition. It's like we knew that that was a bad decision and it was said, this is what's happening, but now we are getting to that place. Or Moses was told, because you struck the rock, you will not be permitted to go into the promised land. So if that then is the case, Moses wanted to make sure that there was somebody in place to lead the people in, to help them establish, to help them take hold of the land and, and get, them, get them set in, into the new place. And so we're going uh, to look at this because Joshua is a really, really, really significant character. He has been 
already. Um, there are things that Joshua was asked to do that brought us to this place where now he's the one that will be commissioned to lead the people in. So uh, beginning in uh, chapter 27, verse 12 is where we are now. So uh, the Lord said to Moses, go up into the mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall gather to your people as your brother was because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin. When the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy as the water before their eyes. These are the waters of Mirabah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirit of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go before them and come in before, before them and shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay hands on him. Okay, I, here's one of those moments, I, and I try, to, I try to point these out to you when I, have these, when I have these moments, but here's one of those moments where you can be reading Scripture and you can fly through something that's huge. So Moses petitions Yahovah and says, let's get somebody to lead the people in. Yahovah, the, the one true living God, the one that spoke everything into existence that brought them to this point and will be faithful to carry them in. He chose Joshua. Like, don't let that just fly by. That the name of Joshua was on his mouth. And you think about the things that you've done with your life and you think about where you are today and where you've come from. And think about the power of knowing that at some point God chose you to do something. Whatever that may be. Like it was, it was, it was in his plan. He, he put it together. He orchestrated and ordained so many different seemingly random acts over the course of time that in doing so, he allowed me to be her husband. Like that was, that was ordained by him. And then he said, you are going to be the father then of that one. And you're going to call him Jacob and you're going to be the father of that one and you're going to call him Eli. If we don't ever like slow down and take the time to personalize his hand on our lives and the things that he put into place and that he set into motion and that we can, we can go back and go like, well, how did I end up here? Do you ever do that in life? Do you ever have those moments where you're just like, how did I end up here? I ask people this sometimes because we, I mean, we live in, in Royce City, Texas. It's like this kind of still 
semi-rural suburb of Dallas that is a little bit off the beaten path. And like, there's still a lot of fields here. Those of you that are kind of new to this section of the world. And, and so like, you know, I'll meet people and they're like, oh yeah, I moved here from San Francisco. And I'm like, how did you, how did you go from San Francisco to Royce City, Texas? So like, do you have those moments you're like, how did I get here? How did this happen? And, and then you can play back like, well, I, you know, I, I was working that job and then that job said, well, we can transfer you and you can go work that job, but you can do it over there. And like you can, so you can play things backwards and you can go, well, I see I made this decision and that decision led to this. And then ultimately we, we, we found and bought a house here and then bam, here we are. But the reality is, is all of those things were set in motion by him. That he, he put this thing down and, 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 and by faith, you made some decisions at different times. And, and even if all of those things, you wouldn't say, I don't really know that he ordained me to do that. That is now part of your story. See, the thing about Joshua is, you know who Joshua was? He's a military leader. It's like a, a general of the army of Israel. Do you remember that Joshua was the one that Moses said, gather some people together and we're going to go fight the Amalekites. But do you remember that other part of that story? Like that came right after the first time Moses struck the rock and the water came out, came right after that. And then what happened is they got ready to go into that military effort is Moses said, I'm going to go stand on that mountain and I'm going to hold the staff up. And, and Joshua just said, I've got my boys and we're going. And, and he went into this battle. And as long as the staff was held high, they were overcoming and they were victorious. But when Moses started getting tired of holding his arms up and the staff lowered, they started taking on damage. And so Aaron and Hur surrounded Moses and they held his arms up and they ultimately overcame the Amalekites and they gained ground as they were making their progress towards closer and closer towards the promised land. There's another pretty fascinating story that like, if, if you go through it too fast later on in Exodus where like Joshua's there and Moses and Aaron and, and the elders are all around. And it says that Moses is speaking to Joshua and said, let us go and tells Aaron and the elders to go tend to the people and then Moses takes Aaron, uh, takes Joshua with him to go be in the presence of God. So like all of these things didn't happen on accident because now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And it was Joshua's name that was on the mouth of Yahuwah. He said, that's the one that I picked out. Here's something else really fascinating about this. When it says... Uh, verse 18, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, 
a man in whom, what does it say? A man in whom is the Spirit. Now, in your translation, it's probably capitalized, which that's, that's usually a good sign. But when you, when you look at the original language of it, it does say, what, what verse are we in? 18. It says, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the, the word is Ruach. Ruach is the name of the Holy Spirit. So what I, what I want you to see is he's not just saying that this is a man of great spirit. Like you could say like, I like the spirit in that one. I, that, that one's got something. He's got, some, got something about him. It's kind of that it factor, like he's got spirit. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that he has the spirit in him. In him is the spirit. In him is the ruach. The Holy Spirit of God was indwelling Joshua. Am I the only one that was told at some point that the Spirit of God never lived in anybody until the day of Pentecost after after Jesus was killed? But what this says is that Yahovah said, go get Joshua, the son of Nun, appoint him because my Spirit is is in him. I don't know that Joshua was more qualified than any of the other elders who were overseeing the the nation of Israel at this time. I don't know what his resume was other than he was a military leader. It's the only thing I, I, I really know about him. But the Lord Almighty called his name. And he said, my spirit is in him and he's the one that will take my people in. Y'all, that's huge. And, and so like, even to you, if you take that and you personalize it and you go, not always the most qualified to do certain things. Not always gonna be the best, but none of that really matters if it was what he wants you to do if it was what he ordained for you, it's what the path that he laid out for you is is far more important than what your qualifications are and what you think that you have the ability to do. It's probably a pretty humbling moment for Joshua as it comes to this. So um, he says, verse 18, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom the spirit, the Ruach, and lay your hands on him. Make him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and all the congregation. You shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority and take all the congregation of the people of Israel that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eliezer, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word, they shall go out, and at his word, they shall come in. Both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded commanded him. He took Joshua 
and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation and laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So we now know who the leader is going to be, the one that's going to take them in. Now I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 28. So, verse 1 in chapter 28 says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Command Israel and tell them to be careful to present to me at the Modim my food offering by fire as a pleasing aroma. So, this work, this Modim or Moedim, I've heard it pronounced both both ways. I kept calling it Modim, so it's probably what I will do here. That word Modim, just the very simple translation of it is appointed times. Your translation of the scriptures that you have in front of you may say something like that, appointed times. So what he was saying here is he spoke to Moses and said, command these people, tell them to be very careful to present to me at the appointed times, these things. And so then from there, he goes into these different offerings. We're going we're to talk about that a little bit. But before we do that, we, we have talked about this before. Some of us have. I, I remember like specifically at the end of uh, Sukkot last year, we, we, had a, we had a service in here on a Saturday night and we were just kind of reflecting on that experience. For a lot of us, it was the first Sukkot that we'd ever participated in. And we're just talking. And um, I was reading during that week, and like this particular thing that happened in Genesis chapter 1 just, and it just jumped all over me. And so I want to share that real quick here as it relates to this, this thing that we're talking about. Okay, so go to Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to do this entire creation story, but I want to, I want to point this out. So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the water from the water. And God made the expanse and separated the waters uh, that were under the expanse and from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse nine, and God said, let the water under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth and the water that was gathering together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruits and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, day three. Okay? Some of y'all remember this, because we talked about this one time. Verse 14. 
And God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs and seasons and for days and years and let them, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse in the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and it was evening and it was morning the fourth day. I'm just gonna stop right there. Here's what completely shook me about this because I, I really don't know how many times I've read the creation story. But as we finished up Sukkot last year, I was reading through and, and we did spend time talking about like, these appointed times, that there's times that, that Yahovah said, I want you to come and meet with me. I want you to come and meet with me. I want, you to, I want us to be together. I want you to meet with me on, on these times. And what I saw in this reading, this one time for whatever reason, is this. Okay, first of all, he said, let there be light, right? And, and he said that, the, the, the light, he's going to call that day, and the dark, he's going to call that night. So he did all that. After that, he went and he created the expanse. He set the heavens in place. Then he created, on day three, vegetation, right? Grass, trees, there's going to be seeds, they're going to produce things. What did he create the day after he created vegetation? The sun. But wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. First of all, he already created the light. Secondly, have you not been told your entire life this process of photosynthesis requires the sun for vegetation to be able to grow and thrive? Uh-oh. So, who is the sustainer of life? What did he do on day one? He created light. Who was the light? He was the light. He was the light. He was the sustainer of life from the very beginning. Do you know, like we went through the study of the book of Revelation, those of you who are with us during that time, do you remember that there's a time in that new heaven, new earth, when there will be no longer a need for the sun? You remember that? Why? Because he's the one who sustains life. He does it. It's, it's him. Okay. So what does it say then on day four about those, those other things that he created? It's, so he created those expanses, he separated them, and then he put two lights in the expanse, one that would govern the day and one that, a lesser one that would govern the night. So deductive reasoning, because none of us ever check our brains at the door when we walk into faith, Right? There's deductive reasoning then that goes, what he's talking about there would be 
the sun, and the moon. And then he specifically talks about stars that would be hung in the expanse as well. Now, what it says about that is, in verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night, and let, there, let them be signs, and that word is seasons. Do you know what Hebrew word seasons is there? Modim. Modim. Appointed times. So he put lights in the expanse. Why? To sustain life? Nope. So that we would know when to meet with him. The entire purpose for the things that are in the cosmos that we look to every day for sustainability, don't do it. They are only there for the sole purpose of you knowing when to meet with him. Completely blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. But because like I was schooled, like I went through school. Not always super sharp because I did go to public school. Like, so I'm a public educator, so it's cool. Like, it's fine. Um, because I went to public school. Like, that's just an out on anything, right? Um, but, like, I remember learning all of these things about, like, life science. You know, like, you take that class and you learn about the way things operate here in this world that we live in. I, I don't know that that's what the Bible teaches, though. And, and so when, when we talk about, in Numbers chapter 28, that first part there where he says, make sure you tell my people to be present and to do those things in those appointed times, in that modim. Days are important. I had this discussion with a friend recently. Is it real? Like, does it matter? Like, does that day matter? Yeah. I, I firmly believe that it does. Is there a bad day to worship him and reflect his glory? No. There are days, though, where he said, come and meet with me. Come and be with me. What you see moving forward in this text, in, in, this, um, in this week's Torah portion, gets very, very specific about some of those meeting days. It gets very specific about, um, about Shabbat. Okay, there's, that's specific. And it says specifically there in verse 9, on the Shabbat, you are to present two flawless male lambs, a year old, along with two-tenths of an ephod of fine flour, a grain offering mixed with oil and drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Shabbat besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Now, remember what we learned last week is those commandments about the sacrifices being made were given to who? The priest, right? You make those sacrifices there at the tabernacle or later on the temple, right? Right? 
That's what was being done for us on our behalf in those places. Not one time is there a commandment given to an individual person to make a sacrifice for this person, a sin offering or a, that's not, that's not done here. But then it goes through and it gets specific about the, Ro, uh, the Rosh uh, Kadesh, that new moon offering. It goes into Pesach or Passover, um, Shavuot, the feast, the, the feast of Weeks. It goes into specifics about Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. There's specific things. And, and in some of those, for instance, if you, get, if you look at, um, at Shavuot, uh, the Feast of Weeks, beginning in verse 26, on the, fir- on the day of first fruits, when you offer Adonai a new grain offering during the Feast of Weeks, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are to do no laborious work. That is also communicated in Yom Teruah. You are to do no laborious work. Yom Kippur. A day, the day of atonement. You are to deny yourself and do no work. So like there are some specific things on some specific days that says, here's how I want you to approach me. I, we wrestle back and forth with these ideas of um, how we exercise our faith in this... Um, like it's a Western culture, but like there's so much of that that has infiltrated not just our day-to-day lives, but also our churches, this Western mindset that has um, really done a lot of damage to people of faith because the way people actually practice their faith. Mm-hmm. Trying to say that cautiously. But, and so when you, when you get into things that are actually in the Bible, have I shared anything with you that is not in the Bible yet? I am reading to you from the scriptures. But that really, really intelligent people who I love dearly would say, but you don't, like, why do you need to do that? Like, that's not really that important, is it? But it's, I mean, it's in the Bible. And, and the, the scriptures that, that you say that you follow, that's where they are. And, and that also say that he doesn't change. That he came to shed light on this, to bring this forth. But that we say, well, I don't really need that. These are appointed times. These are Moedim's appointed times. He said, come and be with me on these days. And it it tells you on the first day of the seventh month, that's pretty specific. On the 14th day of the first month, again, pretty specific, right? Now, here we operate off of a different calendar, right? The other calendar is available to you, though. You realize that, right? I mean, we can we actually know when these days are. We can circle them on a calendar. I've got one that hangs in our house. It's got both of them together there on the same thing. You can know when these things are. And, and as we've studied prophecy more, 
it actually gives us some ideas on when Yeshua is going to come back. It, it, it also tells us when Yeshua actually came the first time. And we walked through that. Remember that? We, we zeroed down. We drilled all the way through the scriptures to find out the day that he was probably actually born. We, we, we end up guessing a lot because we're not really people of the scriptures. We've not really taken the time to get to know him at this level. And we're a little bit afraid of what people might say about us, to be honest. When, when he said that he put these two great lights in the expanse, that he hung those things there, one that would govern the day, a lesser one that would govern the night, but he put those things there and, and we were then taught that those things make plants grow and they make the tide come in, all of those different things. But what the scriptures actually say is he did that for the purpose of us knowing the difference between days and seasons is the word, but like appointed times. And that in and of itself, again, kind of blew my mind a little bit. But then when you take that idea, that concept that a part of the rhythm of creation, remember that part of things was completely perfect without flaw. Remember that part? Like before the choice to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, before that, everything was created, was put into place perfectly. So what would life look like if we understood from that time on that the entire reason for those things hanging up there was just so that we would know when to meet with him? How might things be different? But then carry forward a little ways from there into Numbers 28, and it says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, command Israel, tell them to be careful. Be careful to present to me at the appointed time, at the modim. Be careful to present to me at the modim, the right time, the things that I'm asking you to do. And then he goes into them. Incredibly profound to me. Like, really, really, like, kind of shook me, honestly. And listen, I'm 39, I'm almost 40. And I've been, but with that, I've been doing this for half my life. I've been teaching and preaching the Word of God since I was 18 years old. So half of my life, I've been doing this. I've been studying the scriptures. I've been standing in front of people and, and trying to break the bread of life. 
And this week, I'll learn new things about my faith and my relationship with him. You know, Pastor Paul talks about this, like when these, when these filters are taken off and like how all of a sudden you're reading the scriptures like, holy cow, like when did God put that in there? This is brand new information that I'm getting today. And, and he goes through and, you know, I put in the notes here just kind of to wrap minds those, those things where he was specific. Shabbat, it's weekly. New moon, it's monthly. Passover, Nisan 14. Shavuot, uh, Savan 6. Yom Teruah, Tishri 1. Yom Kippur, Tishri 10. Sukkot, Tishri 15. It's pretty specific. Those things, like those things that I put on that paper in black and white, it would be really easy for us to just kind of take this and fold it up and put it in our Bible and, and move on. And there's nothing inspired about that, but what I want to remind you about those things that are on that paper right there, those are appointed times. Those are modems. Those are times he said, come and meet with me on these days. Have you looked at your calendar, targeted when those are, and made any kind of plans to make sure you meet with him on those days? Because if you don't, you won't. I'm telling you, like, in my job, as I'm walking around doing my stuff every day, and somebody walks up to me and says, hey, on such and such day, could you come and do this for me? Or could you do, present this thing at this location on this day? <clears throat> if I don't, in that moment, grab my phone, open up my calendar, put that event in there, I will forget about it. Lock it up. It's gone. I wish that I wasn't that way, but I am. Like, doing this for you guys tonight was like beating for me. I have... I have zero concrete sequential in my body. I, I don't, this don't work that way. Or you've ever done those personality tests to figure out if you're top A or whatever. I don't, like, I don't care. If we didn't have a set start time for this on Saturday, I'd be perfectly fine. Like sometime in the afternoon, I'm like, cool, I'll be there. But some of y'all like when 5.30 hits back there, you start itching. Like, why have we not started yet? Like, I get it, and I understand. And you love things like this. I'll write a note on the palm of my hand or something like, oh, that was good, you know, like transfer that somewhere else later on or whatever. Like, but because I, I know I'm that way, I'm very, very um, random and kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I know that if there's important things that I need to do, I have got to put them on my calendar. I have to. Or y'all be like, hey, is that coming today? <laughs> like this, that kind of stuff will happen. Do y'all know if he was gonna be here? If it didn't get on the calendar, there's a good chance that I won't be there for that thing. Not because I don't wanna be, but because something else came up and I was like, that sounds like fun. Let's go do that. But I'm telling you, we, we start making our plan because I, I work for the school district here and I do, I do a lot of stuff and professional learning for the district and do things for our, our region and stuff. And we start making plan for the 18-19 school year back in January, like early January. 
uh, late January, kind of in those range, we start putting together our calendar of events for the upcoming school year. I went and looked up these dates. I did. I scheduled nothing. In fact, I moved two different appointments when people sent me, hey, could we do this on this day? Two different times that day that they sent me was Yom Kippur. Two different times. And I said, oh, I can't do it that day. Can we do it on this day? I did not schedule a single thing for this upcoming year during the week of Sukkot. But listen, you have to be intentional about those kind of things. Because if you don't, because the way life goes for us, if we're not intentional about it, it, it'll get scheduled over really, really fast. And those are modims. Those are appointed times. Those are times they said, come and meet with me. Like, put it all down. Put it, put it all aside. And come and meet with me. Shabbat's tough for us. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. It, it is. We are still trying to figure out how to wire our, rewire our lives to be able to make it like a day where we can just we can breathe and we can make it about Him. And because remember, it's His Sabbath, not ours. Y'all remember that part? Like it's His. It's His Sabbath. So, like, we, we struggle with that. And then, you know, we struggle with, well, what is work? You know, like, trying to define those kind of things and, and stuff like that. So, but what, I, what I, I've told you guys a bunch and what I tell people a lot, like, I, none of this stuff will make him love me more or less, right? We can settle on that. My, my ability to follow a rule or a schedule or whatever it is does not make him love me more or love me less because he can't do either one of those things. But when I, when I form my life around his way of doing things, I love him more. And that does have a huge impact on literally everything. Everything. When I, when I put the effort into, those things don't save me, Right? But when I put the effort into trying to live life in the way that he said, this is how it works best, when I do those kind of things, it makes me worship him. It makes me love him more. It stirs up affections inside of me that he put inside of me and that he wants to stir up. But we have to be intentional about it. If we're not, the way life is around us every day will overtake it. It, 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 will, it will come at us like a wave. It'll knock us off our feet. Before we know it, we're under the water again. We have to be intentional about these kind of things. I, I want to really, really encourage you if, if you, um, if you didn't have time to um, read the Haftorah for this week from uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. If you didn't have time to do that, I want to really, really encourage you to do that. We're not going to do that during this time because I, I do want to be mindful of your time. But um, that story, and just kind of give you like a look into it. Some of you know the story, even if you didn't read it yet, you know the story because it's the story of Elijah 
when, remember, he thought he was the last prophet of God that was alive. Remember this? And so um, Jezebel's trying to kill him. And God tells him to go to Mount Carmel. And he gets there. He calls out the prophets of, you remember the prophets? Baal, right? Okay, who are the prophets of Baal? Where'd that come from? That's Balak's people, okay? This is where things like, oh my gosh, because of like what we studied last week, I was like, oh, look at this. So it's the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is that they're worshiping this God called Baal. It's a false God. But what happened was that influence when Balak tried to get Balaam to curse God's people, and he said, he's not gonna allow me to do that, but if you'll send your women the men then will turn and start worshiping those gods. Baal is kind of what happened as a result of all of that, where there was this mixture of Torah and this false god. That's what started developing, and it started growing and, and expanding. And there was this evil king who had been placed over Israel. And as a result of, of the influence of Baal, the altars of God had been destroyed and almost all of the prophets of God had been killed. So they go to Mount Carmel. They have this big scene where there's like these two bulls. I love this story. The story is incredible. They have the two bulls. Elijah has his. He prepares it. He dumps a bunch of water on it. And, and the challenge is whose God will answer with fire. You remember this story? And so the prophets of Baal, they get theirs. They prepare it. He says, go ahead and call out to your God. And so they start petitioning their God to answer with fire. And they start cutting themselves and they do it all day long. And Elijah's mocking them. He's like, maybe your God's asleep or maybe you went to the bathroom. You remember this? And so he's like, he's mocking them and, and they're like, they're cutting themselves and they're crying out. And then Elijah says like a 32 word prayer and the fire of God comes down and consumes the altar, consumes the offering, licks up the fire and then Elijah kills all 450 of the prophets that are there. So then he goes from there and he goes and hides in a mountain because now he knows Jezebel's gonna come kill him. And then God's like, no, but wait, you're not alone. There's a remnant. There's 7,000 of my people who have not bent their knee to Baal. Now listen, how many people were counted in the second generation that was getting ready to go into the promised land? a minimum of 600,000, probably 2 million, possibly 3 million people. There are now 7,000 people who have not bent their knee to ball. Okay, so, but it's a remnant. It's a remnant. So then if you, if you look at that Haftorah, you look at that, and then you carry forward into Romans chapter 11, which is the beautiful picture of God taking Gentiles and grafting them in and making them his people. The apostle Paul in Romans 11 talks about this same story of Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal. So tie those things together. I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you to go back, read 1 Kings 18 and 19, that story. Pick up the chapter before and after too. The, the entire thing is, is, is incredible in light of what we learned last week. Like if you'll read it through the lens of what we learned last week, it's incredible. And then go reread Romans 11 again because you can't do that enough. That's when you and I, as people who were outside the camp, those people who were without hope in the world, that's where we gained hope, it was Romans 11. 
where he said, because some of these branches were cut off, it created space for these others to be grafted in, these wild olive shoots to be grafted in, and that the root is gonna sustain life. Why? Because of his grace. That's what it says two different times. It's, it's because of his grace that it sustains that life. Incredible picture of hope. It's, that's the gospel. As we tie this, what we talked about with these appointed times and how, how, how God over and over has said, hey, this is the time. This is, this is why I created the world the way I created it so that you would know what day to come and spend time with me, to commune with me, to worship me, to celebrate me. This is why it was like this way. Here are the days that I want you to do that, like taking the guesswork out of it and then tying those those pieces together between what we looked at last week and then that text in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 and then Romans 11. So that, that's kind of like homework for, for you to, to be able to do, to be able to kind of dig deeper into this. And then next week, as we get into next week's Torah portion, we're gonna see that now he's saying, now go make war with the Midianites. Like, so that's, that part is coming. So let me, let me pray and uh, we'll, we'll get ready to wrap up.